we would be honored if you would join us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Dungeon Crawlers Radio. I am Krebs. And I am Alton. And we are joined here tonight with the famous, nay, the infamous Daniel Swenson. How you doing, buddy? Yay, I gotta be infamous. Yeah, you will know Daniel's voice because he is our uh, intrepid leader. He is the one who runs DCR and has done so beautifully for years. But tonight we get a special treat because tonight he is our guest. And what makes Daniel so special tonight, Alton? Tell the folks at home. Well, some would say that occasionally he has a bit of a golden tongue and others have waxed a fuse of his various physical abilities and statures. But tonight we talk about the way he works his pen across the page. And in fact, recently, Daniel has been up for a particular award. Quite a prestigious award, too, especially for a first-time author. Daniel, tell us about this uh, award for which you've been nominated. Uh, the Whitney Award. Uh, the Whitney Award's uh, an award for LDS authors. Um, so those... I don't even know how to go into an explanation about that. Uh, it's just, it's an award uh, that is fairly big here in, in the Western states. I'll say it that way. Um, and it is a award that you actually have to be nominated by readers to be get a nomination in. Once you have the nomination, then it goes through a judging process um, uh, to become a finalist and then another judging process from there. So I got the email uh several months back saying hey you're you've been nominated for the whitney award which was like cool that's awesome there's people that actually like my book and, and like me and uh you know but living in utah there is a giant pool or, or or pond a giant pond with tons of writers swimming around in it all the time many that are uh, vastly bigger names than mine um, so I'm like, okay, this is cool. I got a nomination, but I don't think it'll go very far beyond that. Um, and then uh, on February 3rd, they released the finalists. So, you know, this is where they've narrowed it down to the top five. And I happen to be one of those, which I was quite shocked. Uh, to be honest, you know, I saw Larry Korea. It's like, yep, Larry, that, that makes sense. Jennifer Jenkins, yep, that makes sense. I don't know who these other two people are, but that probably makes sense too. And then there was my name, which was like, what? Really? You know, uh, I've always suffered from what is called imposter syn syndrome, uh, just because I've done the podcast for years. Um, like you said, uh, we're, I'm working on year number 12. And during the process, I have learned how to write a very unique way. Everyone kind of comes into writing in their own way, but I have learned from the greatest, I guess is the best way to say it. You know, uh, like R.A. Salvatore, Dave Farland, um, Brandon Sanderson, Larry Correa, the list goes on. You know, all those guys have come on the show. We've always asked questions about writing, you know, and I've gleamed that, you know, that information bit by bit. And then one day someone said, hey, you know, you do really great adventure stories when you do D&D or role playing. I'm pretty sure you could write a book. And I'm like, huh. I've, tr I've always wanted to. As, ki as a kid, I used to write these crazy stories. And I'm just like, I think I'm going to do that. I went home. That was a, at a convention. Uh, it's an old convention that doesn't exist anymore. It was Conduit. It was Memorial Weekend. 
I went home and said, I'm going to write a book. And I'm going to have it done before Labor Day weekend. And I did. Now, I want to stop you before we get too deep into your process, because I definitely want to dive into that and dissect that a little bit. Sure. But but let's let's take a couple steps back for a second. So, yes, um, you, you got the I, for, for, first of all, for which title, which book uh, were you nominated? Uh, so it's my second book, uh, A Dragon's Fate, which, you know, uh, was a really interesting story. I deviated a little bit from my original plans because my first book, you know, it's it's definitely an urban military fantasy. Uh, you know, you got military guns, bombs, explosions, and dragons. How can you go wrong? <laughs> Second book, I deviated a little bit from that by thinking, hmm, dragons are the keepers of magic. A dragon's come back. Now magic's slowly creeping back into the world. And not only that, there's this cabal that's been running around for centuries, pulling the strings of governments and organizations all over the world plotting for something evil to happen and they've been using magic and keeping magic for themselves and so it just kind of spun from there and it was really cool um you know dragons are real they've been around since the dinosaurs the idea came to me because i watched this uh discovery channel thing where this archaeologist found this t-rex that had claw marks on its skull and scorch marks and he couldn't explain how they got there. There is no known dinosaur at that time that could jump that high. There is no known flying dinosaur that could create claw marks that big, let alone scorch marks. Because he's like, well, maybe he got hit with some, you know, some burning tar, blah, or maybe some lava. And then he started thinking, well, what if it was a dragon? That kind of fits. And then I was thinking, I like that idea. I'm going to run with that. Hmm. Um, you know, and that's that's a really interesting thing. A lot of people find inspiration in unique places like that, and and draw from history and and kind of the shared things that keep us up at night and and are sometimes difficult to explain. And especially, I imagine, as you've worked with uh, many of these different authors, uh, excellent by the way, all of them. Um, you may find that sometimes some of the ideas or story threads that they leave open can lead to inspiration too. Is there anything that's particularly stood out in, in your readings and travels uh, with working with other authors that uh, helped you along this journey? I read so much. Oh, okay. Let me, let me roll that back. At this point, I'm listening to audiobooks a lot. Um, but I used to read quite a bit. Uh, I, I love dragons. I have, I pretty much own every uh, Dragonlance novel in existence. There's maybe five that I don't have, if, if that. Um, so early on, Tracy Hickman and Margaret Weiss were huge. Uh, then I discovered uh, R.A. Salvatore, and I own every book that he has ever written. <laughs> I think they're all signed, too. Uh, you know, from there, I just have so many books. Um, you know, from there, the Sword of Truth series, uh, the Shannara series, um, you know, Brandon Sanderson is Mistborn series. I, I mean, Dragons of Pern. Uh, yeah, I just I always have loved dragons, and there's just something about them that has always appealed to me and always spoke to me. And so when I sat down to write, that was the first thing that I had to have was a dragon. 
growing up. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, growing up, I've always tried to write like an epic fantasy. And for some reason, it just never came out right. So that's why I decided to go with the urban fantasy, because it just seemed right. So without giving away spoilers, of course, to your to your two books, um, from your perspective, when you think of dragons and and where kind of like how they view the world, how they view mankind, are do dragons automatically see man as the enemy? Do dragons, you know, uh, find them to be cute like pets or annoying like pests? Or is there, you know, is there a is there deeper um, consideration between the dragons and the humans or are dragons just like natural bestial creatures? I mean, that's a good question. So the first book has one dragon. The second book has a diff- uh, another dragon. Um, basically, the creation tell I created is that there is this big, dark, mean entity that is out there in the darkness of space and time and other dimensions. And the powers of creation created dragons to guard Earth. Their, they were, their original design was guardians. Um, their whole purpose was to protect all life on this planet. However, they were given magic to do this. Well, what happens with power? Power corrupts. So slowly, these dragons have twisted and turned, become greedy, become all, you know, everything that you see from uh, European dragons. You know, they're, they're evil, they're greedy, they're de- destructive. But their original intent was that they were guardians. They have a particular element that they are strong in, and their opposite element it, they can still use, but it takes more energy and power to, to control. Um, so the first dragon we see in the first book is just mean, horrible, evil. The second dragon in the second book, which I really particularly like, is female and isn't really interested in just destruction she's more sly and seductive and her intent is just to escape she's imprisoned um and so i really enjoyed that character because it wasn't like i'm gonna destroy everything you know when the dragon finally escapes it's you know it doesn't want to wreak havoc all it wants to do is fly away and go hide again um and so i liked how that dichotomy was there where it wasn't just dragons are horrible and evil i mean even the main character is like this this creature is just wanting to get away why are we attacking it and so he ends up doing something and and things happen with that dragon in, in a much different way than in the first book uh which i like but then that leads kind of into the the next book i am i am working on so the third book is in, in the works, and it, it is coming slowly because I have a lot of things I'm doing, but it's definitely coming together. You know, it's really interesting because by the way that you speak um, about these characters, uh, it's clear that you have an affinity for them. Yes. And one of the things that I love talking to authors about is the characters with whom they share the most affinity, the pieces <laughs> of themselves that they leave in their stories and in their characters. Uh, for you... You know, what is that hallmark character or characters, the pieces so, of yourself? So the character that is most like me, um, I I actually had someone ask me that question. And that would be Lenny. That would be my character, Lenny. Lenny Kala... Kala- oh, man, I just botched that. 
uh, Lenny Kowalski. Uh, it is definitely a difficult name to pronounce, but Lenny has a bat cave. Lenny <laughs> is obsessed with comic books. Lenny has a five-year supply of Mountain Dew, but they don't make Mountain Dew anymore. The company went bankrupt uh, because this is set a little bit in the future. And so he has this stockpile of Mountain Dew, um, and he covets it. You know? And there is like one scene in, in, that I, I had to put in, this, in the second book where Henry, the main character, uh, calls in, and it's a, it's, you know, it's a teleconference line, and Lenny is wearing a Batman cowl, you know, the, the, the mask and everything. And he's like, good God, Lenny, what are you wearing? And he's like, what? He's like, I can see you. He's like, oh, crap. You know, the screen blacks out, and then it comes back on, and, and it's gone. Um, I, I just love Lenny. And not only that, Lenny has some really cool moments where he surprises everyone. Because he's, you know, he's kind of, he grew up as this kid that always got beat up. And Henry and Rick, the two brothers in the series, were always there kind of to help him out. Um, and as a kid, uh, you know, I was a short, short redhead. And there, were, there was a season in my life where I got beat up quite a bit. So I, I really feel like Lenny is that character that most reflects me. So he's like your cathartic outlet. Yeah, a little bit. Um, but at the same time, I, I love how he has moments of, uh, of heroism. You know, even though he is, he, he's not muscular, he's not the guy that's going to run into battle um, first. But there is a moment in at the very, towards the end of the second, or the first book, excuse me. There is some moments in the second book, but there's a pivotal moment at the end of the first book where it seems like all is lost. And then Lenny saves the day. Then gets the crap beat out of him. But he saves the day. Um, you know, but at the end of the book, he gets kissed by the girl, so that's all that matters, I guess. <laughs> you know, and it's kind of interesting because, uh, you know, I've I have known you and Krebs has known you for, for years now. And hopefully we have some listeners out there who have followed since the beginning as well. And so we've been able to see kind of your your personal character arc as you've been able to pursue these different passions and ideas and um, so, but we often see characters in our, the books that we love grow with us as well. What is one of those things that you feel you have gained and grown through the process of, of writing this book, this award nominated book? Um, you know, my, my writing has definitely improved. Uh, everyone that I've talked to that's read the second book is like, wow, this is so much better than the first, which is great. I mean, that's the ultimate goal. Each book is better than the last. Um, but definitely my editing, my writing pr prose, my writing style improved quite a bit. Uh, my storytelling ability improved. So those are all really great things that came out of the second book. Getting the nomination um, and then ultimately becoming a finalist Help me to move out of the I'm an imposter swimming in this pond to, wow, I'm actually just as good a writer as Larry Correa or Jennifer Jenkins or the other, the other two authors that are even there. So that really helped me to grow quite a bit because I know I've had several people like, yeah, you're just as good. But for some reason in our brains, that doesn't click until something like this happens. Um, I mean, you're at least in the top five. You know, and even if I don't win. I'm okay with that. This is amazing just to be able to say, hey, my book's a finalist for this award. 
You know, it's like years ago when Dungeon Crawlers was uh, a finalist for the Hugo. I mean, that was just like mind blowing. Like I never once would I ever think that that would happen. We've never been up for it again, but we were a Hugo finalist and that's awesome. I mean, I'm, I I can tote that around, yet I still don't. I, I don't know why. There's just something about me that I don't like to be un... Well, I like to be humble. What is the opposite of humble? Uh, Kardashian. Yeah, Kardashian. I don't want to be that way. Hey, uh, don't bring what? Star Trek into this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I there's the sticker on each of our, our things, but it, we're not like toting around like, oh, hey, you should pay attention to us because we're a Hugo-nominated podcast. Or, you know, I'm now a finalist. Uh, to the for the Whitney Award, and that means I'm super awesome. It's, it's no, it's really cool. I feel like I'm now on an equal playing field in my mind uh, with these other authors, and I can do some stuff now. It's cool. the, it's it's totally amazing. I I remember when you first sent the message to uh, Alton and I about being nominated, and I just about came out of my skin with joy of just like how exciting it was that you got nominated, yeah. and you're over there like. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Like, it's kind of hard to believe. And you're just like yeah. so quiet and like subdued. Um, but I was over here on my side of the internet fence just like oorahing because it so, was just so cool that you, that your book got nominated for this uh, prestigious uh, award. It's, it's, I realize it's local. I realize that it's targeting a very specific subset of authors. It doesn't yeah. change anything. No, it doesn't. This is, a, this is an important and an impressive thing. You've got people like Tracy Hickman and Larry Correa who've won these awards in times past, and they're amazing authors. Yeah, and, and you get Brandon see. Sanderson. Yeah. 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 Brandon Sanderson. It, yeah, it, it is cool. I mean, don't get me wrong. Even though I was subdued, I definitely was like doing the half dance, <laughs> screaming and yelling, and, like holy. Crap. You know, uh, I'd like to back up to a, uh, for a second to something that Alton asked. I want to kind of modify. I, I want to piggyback off of a previous sure. question. Um, he was he asked you like, uh, you know, which character um, do you see yourself in and and things like that. And um, I'm kind of curious, it, especially if it's not Lenny, was there a character that, that like you really wanted to get back to writing for? There was a character that you loved writing for. And alternately, was there a character you hated writing for or a character that like, you know, for whatever reason, I don't want to. I don't want to load the question. Was there a character that you loved writing for? Was there a character that you hated writing for? So I'm probably gonna get in trouble for this one. So one character I really, really love to write uh, is shows up in the second book. His name is Marcus Silver. For those of you that don't know, Scott made this little uh, movie called Ghostbusters of Salt Lake. His character's name is Marcus Silver. That's awesome. <laughs> um, Varen, that used to be on the show, is also in the book as well. And let's just say that Varen told me a lot of funny, interesting stories about him and Scott that may have snuck their way into the book. <laughs> um, it, his character was fun to write um, because I could... You know, as I'm writing it, I can hear Scott's voice and Scott's personality in my head. So it really helped uh, with that character. So that was really fun to write. But I also did it in a way that you know wasn't making fun of Scott and it wasn't in, in a disgraceful way. But it was just really fun. Um, one character that was really hard for me to write was actually in the second book. Um, 
It's Mrs. Co Brown, Cohen Brown, excuse me, Cohen Brown. Uh, she is one of the cabal, and she is devious as all can be. And there is this scene where she poisons the CEO of this uh, organization, uh, the, the CEO of Union Forest. And just how cold and calculating she is was really hard to write. Because this guy is literally choking and dying at her feet, and she just doesn't care. And that's just not me. I'm, I'm definitely a caring person. I can't be that cold and calculating. But it was hard. It was hard to write that character. But it was, in the end, I think it was really rewarding because I was able to pull it off. Um, but hey, I also know interesting facts about Poison that no one really should ever know. That brings us to another question of, what kind of research did you have to do for each of these books? Um, well, uh, for like the first book, I had to do a lot of research on weapons. Uh, you know, what type of fire rate? How did they have clips in them? Uh, how far? What? How far certain uh, weapons could fire? Uh, what the impact? Um, you know, how hard did they impact when they hit something? You know, like moving, you know, flesh compared to a moving vehicle. Uh, what type of vehicles were out there, what kind of even futuristic type of technology, uh, medical technology as well. And then I had, you know, I've never been to Ireland, but I set, you know, the, I'd say about, at least half the book was in Ireland. And I used Google Earth like crazy and every website I could imagine just to learn everything I could about Ireland, what type of animals were there, what type of uh, trees and fauna that I could find. Um, just so I can make it as realistic as possible. You know, and so, then moving to the second book, you know, I had to learn more about bombs and explosives uh, and poisons and uh, just other really interesting facts. Like I've never been to Central Park, but I had to know every detail and spec of Central Park, which I hope to, to go there and experience it. But, you know, you do have to do a lot of research. Uh, because otherwise, you know, if you're, you, your readers can tell. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a great way. Uh, those of you who are listening in Ireland or New York and have an extra couch or a bunk somewhere, you know, this is a great time to send in a message and let us know so we can book Daniel to come out and sign. No, seriously. I like, I <laughs> you know, Ard Ardmore, Ireland is where a good portion of the first book is set. That would be so awesome to be able to go there. To Ardmore and like, hey, here's the book. It's, you know, because you know, looking at their their wiki page, they're like, yeah, one other book was written about our our, our little town, and that that's cool. You know, well, here's another one. Um, <laughs> yeah, a lot of stuff happens in in, in Manhattan. Uh, you know, almost if you look at at a map, uh, especially with Marvel, almost every Marvel character is based in Manhattan. It seems like <laughs> yeah, so true. Uh, so. Me writing something there isn't that big of a deal, but hey, it's it's overrun. It's not. No one can live there because uh, there's giant sewer rats and other creatures living. Oh, and dire, giant dire wolves. Yeah, were no there? One uh, you know, the, the danger of of writing any work of fiction is that you're going to step on the toes of giants, right? That you're going yeah. to. Um, we're so heavily influenced by what we might consider the classics of fantasy and sci-fi. Uh, were there any particular tropes or patterns that you were hoping to avoid in your novels? 
Yeah, I mean, magic. Magic is, you know, it's, there's several books about it. Everyone has a different magic system. You know, Brandon Sanderson, all of his magic systems are based in reality and physics. Uh, you've got like Dragonlance and, you know, all of Bob Salvatore's books where it's just magic exists and it does this and that. Um, you know, I kind of wanted magic to be kind of a combination of that and uh, a Green Lantern power ring. You know, whatever you could imagine, you can make happen. Uh, there is one point in the second book where uh, Henry fires a normal gun, but he is able to infuse, but it's it's a grenade launcher. He fires it at these dire wolves. He's able to infuse magic into that grenade he fires off. And you'll have to read the book to find out what happens. But uh, <laughs> let's just say it was not a small explosion. Uh, you know, and then there's another point where... You know, he's able to do some things that are, you know, it, it's cool, it's magic, um, but it's definitely not traditional magic. And that's what I, I wanted to kind of avoid is just, oh, yeah, he can just say some words and it happens. It's not really that. He has to visually uh, think of it in his mind. There is some words that he does say. Uh, for those of you that know Latin, hey, you're going to know what all the magic spells say. Uh, because the few times that it is said, it's all in Latin. I, I chose that as my magic language. Excellent. Um, so, how to say this next one? Um, you're working on your third book. Yes. Your voice changed, your writer's voice changed. Yes. Uh, or at the very least refined between mm -hmm. the first book and the second book one could surmise that your third book would show a little uh, additional refinement because this is this is kind of a new endeavor for you. Yeah. Um, I know it's not typical in works of fiction to do this, but have you considered what it would mean to revisit the first book and create a second edition, perhaps with quote-unquote deleted scenes and things of that nature? I don't want to go too George Lucas on this, but... <laughs> Have you thought about like refining the first work? Um, clunky. You know, <laughs> uh, I think Orson Scott Card said it best. You know, the book's done. I'm moving on to go back. Every author would prefer to do that. Go back, refine it, make it better. But if we did that all the time, we'd constantly be doing that and never be able to leave that book. Um, so I feel okay. It, you know, it's the first book. It's going to be have its issues. You know, maybe one day I'll clean it up a little bit, but I definitely don't want to rewrite. I don't want to do the George Lucas thing where things get so changed. It's not really the same. Yes. Han shot first. And if you watch Truth. Disney plus, they both fire at the same time now. What the heck? Um, but I, I don't really want to do that. If anything, it would just be some some cleanup. Uh, and I'll leave it as it is. Um, I think it's it is good. It's a good story. Uh, I just want to move forward. I want to be able to add more to the story in the universe. Um, you know, as it is, the the third book has some really cool things that are going to happen in it. Um, the creature that is in the void it has found a way um, to Earth, and now we just have to see if his plans come to fruition, or if Henry and his brother and the other guys can stop it. Uh, that's kind of where we're, we're heading. And, uh, you know, the closest way to describe this, this 
thing out in the void is it's like an it's an old ancient one uh you know something like cthulhu that's out there in in the darkness or, or dormammu it's just waiting to come <laughs> devour all life and, yeah. and light so that's an always an interesting thing too um that uh some authors really really love writing their villains and their monsters write the unknowables and the 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 hard to describes um and so for you when you started this process did you have a really clear identity for that being or is that something that has grown and evolved as you've explored the universe yeah so i'm a panzer uh so i don't outline i don't do any of that i just kind of write and what comes out is is what happens i didn't really discover the whole meaning of you know these other cre- this otherworldly creature till about halfway through the second book um, the first book I wrote in a way that it could stand on its own. You know, it could be a standalone and we're good. And that way I could get picked up by a publisher. After that, I really, you know, I didn't really think that I, there was going to be a second book. I was going to write another book. Then on my way to Fan X one, uh, you know, one morning, I pretty much plotted the entire second book in a car ride from my house in Saratoga Springs to Salt Lake. Uh, I just turned the audio recorder on and I just started talking. I had it all plotted out. I'm like, all right, I guess I'm supposed to work on this book. And, and for people started, who are not from Utah, that's about a half hour drive is all. Yeah, so not very long. So in 30 minutes, I had it all plotted out. I knew that dragons were guardians of this planet. And they had, you know, like I already said, that they had been twisted because of, because of magic and things like that. When you say that dragons are guardians, that would then suppose that there is an ongoing threat. If the dragons were either created and or bequeathed with, you know, they, they were created as create as as creatures. They were bequeathed with magic from powers on high. Yeah. Um, what's what's the opposition then, and where does that opposition come from? So the opposition is this this ancient old one that's out there. You know, uh, I, I like. Eastern culture with what they do with their dragons, you know, they're they're guardians, they're creatures of fortune, they're you know they're not this negative entity that's out there. But I love the look of European dragons. They look mean and vicious and evil, and the horns and everything. It's just it's spectacular and stunning, and they're super destructive when they want to be. So I kind of meshed the two together, and then I came up with this idea because you know there's always that balance of light and darkness. So light is the powers of creation. Darkness is the powers of destruction, which is this, this old one that's been trapped out there. And so, you know, earth was created, life has sprung up on it, and to be able to protect that life, the dragons were, were created to, to bring that balance. They were there to uh, teach humanity, usher them along. And so, you know, at one point, they, they worked side by side with humans. And this idea came about because every culture on this planet has a myth about dragons. And it's like, okay, how can that be? You know, for, for centuries or, or more, we didn't communicate with one another. So how could all of these cultures, ancient ones and new, have myths about dragons? It just didn't make sense unless they existed. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where that, this idea evolved from. And then it's like, okay, so as their numbers dwindled, you know, they gain more power 
that power corrupted and, and so on and so forth. Not only that, but this creature, this entity, has been slowly been able to get more and more of a handhold on this on, on the planet and into the in magic and has been twisting the dragons to its own uses and demise. And then it's discovered that the only way it can break through is by obtaining seven hearts of these guardians. Uh, so that's its purpose is to kill these dragons and take their hearts and then have one of it, its followers cast this spell and allow it to come into into the this realm. So that's a, kind of an interesting concept there. And obviously I don't want to distract you from finishing your third book, but have you considered kind of what comes next if it becomes popular or if it doesn't become popular? Um, you know, what, you know, what's kind of your end game? Um, I don't know quite yet. I don't know if it's going to wrap up on in three books or if it's going to go beyond that. Um, I do know there are other stories that I want to write. Um, maybe in novella format. Uh, there is a really cruel, evil, evil villain in the second book. Her name is Shanti. It, she's a really old uh, Chinese woman. And she wasn't always that way. And I would really love to go back and tell her story of how she became the way she was. Um, because she ends up dying in a battle and makes a deal with this creature. And it brings her back to life. And her whole point is to, you know, find these guardians and, and get their hearts. And she is just mean. You know, if you can think <laughs> of the, the worst old lady on the planet, give her a dagger that instantly kills anyone it touches. Like, you know, it's like Artemis Entre's dagger with an old grumpy woman, you know. <laughs> some some kid walks across her lawn and she just jumps out and stabs him. She doesn't yell at him. She just stabs and kills him immediately. And they and their entire body turns to ash. So there is nothing left behind that can incriminate her. Uh, that's pretty much this character. Wow. Yeah. That's ferocious. Uh, I I kind of want to I kind of want to push on this button a little bit more. I, I like sure. the question that Elton asked, which is. You know, you've you've got this trilogy that you're setting up, um, or more. perhaps you perhaps you plan it to be more than a trilogy in terms of, yeah. of number of books. But outside of this story, whether mm -hmm. it's in the same universe or not, have you considered the next major work that you want to work on? Um, see, I've already started. Well, I've, I've co-written another book with another author. We already had the first book done and the second book on the way. It's a middle grade book, and it has dragons in it. Uh, it is about a young boy that is afraid of dragons because he believes that dragons like to eat redheaded children because they taste like ginger snap cookies. Not <laughs> false, by the way. That's absolutely yeah. true. So, it Two is dragons. It, Nobody out there go eat yeah. a ginger. Right. Yeah. Right. So it. It was a really fun book to write. Uh, Jody and I are both redhead, fellow redheads. So we put in every redheaded thing that we could think of in there. And it was just <laughs> lots and lots of fun. It's based in Scotland. So, uh, you know, hopefully one day I can go there. Um, but, it, you know, it was definitely different. It's different going from an adult style book to a middle grade book where you're, you know, I went from third person to first person. And it's just this 12-year-old kid. 
And I pulled a lot from my my 12-year-old son because I haven't been 12 in forever. And when I was 12, they didn't have everything that they have now. And so I'm I'm trying to think as this 12-year-old kid, he loves to eat cookies. He loves to eat sweets. He likes playing video games. And yes, he he plays Star Wars video games. Uh, Is a huge Star Wars geek. So is his buddy. Um, But he's afraid of dragons. And he believes there is a dragon hunting him down. And it was so much fun. It was just so much fun. I mean, there's even this weird scene where I, the headmaster of the school, he walks in and he's playing with his toys and then quickly shoves them into a drawer. Um, you know, a, a little bit like uh, Rick Moranis on Spaceballs. That's exactly what came bit to mind. Like, uh, you know, Wash uh, from Firefly, except mm-hmm. they're, they're not dinosaurs. But. <laughs> It was lots of fun to write that, you know. There was a bully picking on him. He he, you know, we did have a Falcorn moment, so I pulled a little bit of uh, reference there from um, Neverending Story. The headmaster was a little bit like Dumbledore in a way, you know, being sneaky and pushing him into doing something he didn't, you know, the character didn't really want, kind of like what Dumbledore with, did with Harry. So we had a lot of fun. Um, and the second book, you know, they're at summer camp. What can go wrong at summer camp? Except for summer camps on the shore of Loch Ness. <laughs> so, so we've already, yeah. you know, we, we've already touched a little bit on Dan's humility. We've touched uh, in many episodes on his, his generosity and kindness to other people. Um, you know, having been a fan of the show for a long time as things have started to get back up. It's been nice to be able to come on and be a participant in this. And uh, any of you who have ever met Dan, I'm sure have had good experiences where you've seen the way that he invites you in and tries to make you a part of what's going on. And so this is a great opportunity, I think, to ask Dan, since you've now taken the time to write these first two books, it sounds like there are many other projects on the way. What is the biggest thing that you want somebody to feel or experience or take away as they enter your worlds? Um, if they enter my worlds, that's, that's a huge question. Um, which I don't think I've ever thought of, you know, I've always known how I feel when I read someone else's book, you know, I want to be entertained uh, when I read their book, I want to be able to kind of set aside my worries and journey through that world just for the short time I'm, I'm there uh, and be able to go back. Uh, you know, I can't tell you the number of times I've read the, my books. Um, and it's not because, oh, I bought it, so I should read it. It's because I want to go back. I want to go back on that journey. And I hope, uh, you know, with those individuals that are reading my books, that that's kind of the experience they have. They're able to put aside their cares, their worries, for a small moment in time, enjoy the journey that they're on, and want to come back. Because ultimately, that's, that's what it's all about. That's why we watch you know, our favorite movie over and over, because we get to set, set aside time and experience that journey all over again. You know, um, I have probably watched A New Hope more than 100 times, and it still is just as fun as the first time. You know, yes. My kids say, ew, gross, when Luke, you know, Leia kisses Luke. But she didn't know. You know, they're swinging over this no giant chasm. Knew. 
Yeah. No one knew. You know, no one did. But it's still amazing. It's still fun. I still want to throw 3PO in a trash compactor, but that's okay. <laughs> um, now, oh, uh, I had a question and then I spaced it. Hang on a sec. We'll cut that part out or leave it in. Whatever. We'll leave it in. Whatever. Leave it in. Leave everything in. Everything's a keeper. Here we go. Um, where can uh, I'll... <laughs> Where can we find your books? Like, what are they called? Where can we find them? Okay. How can we support your endeavor? So the first book is called The Shadow Above the Flames. Uh, you can find that on Amazon, or you can find it on my we website, which is adragonsfate.com. The second book is A Dragon's Fate. Um, no, no. My website is dragonsfate. Leave out the A. Dragonsfate.com. So both books are, are on my website, or you can go to Amazon. Uh, look either of them up, or just look up Daniel Swenson. That's S-W-E-N-S-O-N. -S uh, my author page has that. There is a short story in a book called Choose Your Own Apocalypse I have. It's called, uh, it, 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 it again, is about dragons. Um, every story in that book is a world-ending event. There is a, an apocalyptic story about a necktie. Um, the the <laughs> ends the world. There's my dragon story. There's another one um, that is a computer one. Um, there is a redneck uh, barbecue that goes wrong. Um, there are a bunch of different stories in, in that book. The other one is, uh, oh man, it's it is a collection of short stories for Valcoria. Um, can't even remember the name of it because I know they're rebranding it. Um, I'm going to pull it up real quickly because I don't remember. That's how awesome I, my memory is right now. <laughs> the funny thing is I wrote my first book first and then came back because I sent it to, to one of my author friends. Like, hey, how do you like this? Uh, Valkoria Awakenings, that's what it is. I'm like, how, is this okay? And he's like, wow, this is amazing. Um, you want to write a short story for, me, for my anthology? I'm like, sure. So, <laughs> yeah. I had to read his entire book in two weeks and then start uh, writing the story, which that one is a really fun story. It is uh, a high fantasy story, so I got to kind of go to my, my roots, uh, my reading roots, and, and wrote that, and um, I, I will admit, I, I did pull a little bit of uh, some inspiration from the Avatar cartoon series um, because I got to, to pick uh, the, an elemental power for him and totally, totally enjoyed writing that character. Uh, he's 14, and, you know, there's something about tragedy, but uh, he, I killed his mother right in front of his eyes. Uh, not expecting to do that, but I did it. Uh, and he, wow, he, he snaps and he gets his power at that point. Before he had no, he didn't know he had power. He's being hunted. And it, it was a really cool moment. And I enjoyed writing that story. Well, you know, most authors are just murderers who are able to get away with the crime in front of millions of witnesses. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And, the, and the body count. The body count's kind of high in the in my two books. Uh, yeah, I got a dragon that gets to destroy an entire nation. It's kind of cool. Um... <laughs> 
So yeah, now everybody knows where they can find you. If you haven't already navigated over there, go and do it right now. Um, take the time to help support Daniel. And in doing so, you're helping to grow our communities and expand our horizons, both as authors and as consumers of content. So, yeah. you know, and I was just going to add to that. You know, it's really, this is one thing that's always important. Leave reviews. Uh, reviews are the lifeblood of any author. And, you know, if you're going to leave a negative one, make it constructive. Don't just say, wow, this sucks. This is horrible, blah, blah, blah. Say why. What is it that you didn't exactly like? Because that helps. I mean, if you're just going to be a jerk, that's not helpful. But if you're going to admit that you didn't like it, that's okay. It's not going to hurt my feelings. But tell me why exactly. What were the things that you, you didn't miss? Like, like I had one guy who said, wow, this has so many plot holes in it. I just can't enjoy this. Well, those plot holes were like filled up in book two. There's a reason I ignored that because it's a big part of book two. Um, so, you know, and, and there's, I don't know if that person's like, oh crap, I feel crappy for leaving that review now. Yeah, it's, it's okay. You know, just say why. You know, there was a couple of reviews that I, I saw that I'm like, oh, I did miss that. I think I need to fix that. And I did in book two. Yeah, so be constructive. You know, uh, that always helps authors and leave reviews because how is anyone going to know that, that the book is good or anything like that if people don't leave reviews? So, absolutely. Leave reviews and be kind. That's all I can say. And if it is, if you really do hate it really, really bad and can't be constructive, just don't leave a review. Just go, go somewhere else. Do something else. Be happy. You know, go pet a puppy. Uh, eat some sugar. Go see a good movie. I, Absolutely. I <laughs> or listen to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers. There's yes, always that. Listen to another episode of our show. <laughs> that, that's always good. You know, and, and beyond that, you know, like with like with anything I do, I mean, the biggest reason I started the show was because I wanted to be able to help people. That's always been my underlying thing. Um, with bringing authors on, authors always need help. They always need people to hear about their books. Game designers, the same thing same thing it's that's the underlying theme that has always been with the show is to help other people you know and with writing it, it's no different you know there are moments uh with that you can read something out of a book and go wow that really pertains to me in this moment i, I can't tell you the number of times i have read a book and i'm just like I, like i'm filling in the dumps or it's been a crappy day or i'm struggling with x y or z and i read something and i'm like huh wow that really pertains to how I'm feeling in this moment. Okay, awesome. You know, I, I'm going to go away with this, and I'm going to make today better. You, you never know. Uh, that's one thing. That's another thing that came to mind that I hope that if my readers are reading the book, that there is that moment when something is like that, and they take away something, and they're like, wow, okay, I'm going to make today better, you know, by a bit of dialogue or something. So, With that said, there it is. That's fantastic, Dan. That's excellent. And one more time, if you want to check out the books that Daniel has written, you can go to dragonsfate.com and you can see the cover art and the descriptions there. And you can also purchase them at amazon.com as well. Yep. Uh, that is our time tonight. Daniel, you've been a fantastic guest. You've been hosting for so long. And now you finally get to have practice as a guest. Good on Yay, you. I get to be a guest. <laughs> uh, it's weird being a guest on my own show. <laughs> Isn't it, though? It, it is. But you no, know what? 
it's wonderful to finally get to to pick your mind a little bit. You're always so busy uh, delving into the thought processes and the motivations and the emotions of your guests. It's fine. It, it, it's a wonderful experience to finally get to kind of turn the tables and and get to learn a, a little bit more about you. No, I agree. Um, it's something I need to do better. Uh, Bob Defendi, uh, another guest that's been on the show many times, good friend. Yeah, he listens to the show, and one day, I mean, I was at Fan X, and he's like, you want to know what? I'm like, what? He's like, I know everything about your co-hosts. I know every time they've had a bad day. I know everything they're doing. And he's like, but I don't know a lot about you. He's like, and that's not a bad thing, but he's, it shows how great of an interviewer you are. You're, like, secretly interviewing your co-hosts as we're moving along through our, our shows. <laughs> but no one's doing it back to you, so I have no clue what's going on but, you know, behind, you know, behind the eyeballs or whatever there. Um, because just in past, it's never been that, and I've never really pushed that, but I realize I need to do that more uh, just because, yeah, I mean, it's like I became an author, and I, probably a lot of our listeners never really knew that it was something we just we just kind of mentioned on the side and didn't go beyond that and that's something that definitely has to change because everyone has their things and it's exciting to talk about uh various projects that each of us are doing and i i i don't like being you know i don't like saying oh hey guess what guys i wrote a book uh no that's just not me it's but you know, it is cool that I wrote a book, and I'm super excited that there are certain people that have seen it, that have read it. Uh, one of the coolest moments of being an author is when I got to send my book to R.A. Salvatore and say, hey, would you read it? And he's like, sure. I, you know, I've read him for years. And he's like, sure, I'll do that. Um, you know, And it's just really cool to have those type of moments. Absolutely. And, and your second book, your second book in this series is nominated for the Whitney award. Yep. By the and way, when, when do the awards actually get assigned? You're so nominated. I when finally we know. get to find out if I win on May 8th. So May 8th. I have to wait till May. You have to wait for three, four days yeah. after so Star Wars day. At least I get to celebrate uh, Star Wars day in some fashion. And you know, Maybe we should take a guy's trip to Disneyland. Uh, build you know, whatever. Uh, build whatever. lightsabers and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, and then come back and then I find out if I win, win this award or not. But um, either way, it, it is awesome. I appreciate the fact that I was nominated for those readers that did nominate me. I appreciate the fact for those judges that selected me as a finalist. It's just really cool. Um, it is super cool, yeah. and and we're pulling for you, and I'm sure our audience is pulling for you. This is great. And so all congratulations. I can say, yeah, and all I can say to the audience is definitely, you know, reading is awesome. Uh, whether it's audiobooks or sitting down and reading a book, do it. Take the time. Uh, one thing that I have learned uh, over my lifespan is it definitely reduces stress. Yeah. You could have the world's most stressful day, and sitting down with a book or even listening to an audiobook immediately drops your stress levels by 40%. So that's just amazing. Well, take that little piece of advice with you, folks at home. And uh, on Daniel, thank you very much for being an amazing guest. And until next time, thank you for listening to Dungeon Crawlers Radio. And remember to always be epic and don't suck. And I guess we'll see you next time, because that next time I won't be a guest. <laughs> Remember, 
Force will be with you. Always. 